Good morning. I especially desire your prayers this morning for my, uh, I guess, my throat and chest um, and my thoughts. Um, I'm, I think I'm headed the right direction, but dealing with some uh, throat and chest difficulties over the last several days. You can open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. One day I would like to simply read the book of Revelation aloud um, during a, a message time. I think that would be beneficial. That is not today. Um, We're going to start our scripture reading by a verse near the beginning of the book and a verse near the end. Revelation 1 verse 3 says this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And in chapter 22, Verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We're going to come back to Revelation, but let's quickly turn back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We'll start reading at verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. Excuse me, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I've only been in a couple of the adult Sunday school classes as we've been going through Revelation. And so maybe I've missed a lot of the discussion that you all have had um, from this book. But recently I've listened through the book of Revelation on audio Bible a couple times over the last couple months. And I've read through it and done some, some more studying in it than usual. And really going through it these few times recently has been with a new focus because of chapter 1 verse 3 in chapter 22, verse 7. Did you notice what you're supposed to do with the words of Revelation? You're supposed to keep them. So that, that book ends this book. Chapter 1 and chapter 22 both say that. That what you're supposed to do with this message that God gave to the Apostle John and has been preserved for us You're supposed to keep these words. What does it mean to keep them? And so that was when I started looking through. Jesus used that terminology fairly frequently. We looked there in in, uh, John 14 where he used it. But he used it other places also. And this means I need to look at this book with a whole new perspective. I need to look at it not just at 
Um, I need to look at it and ask, what are the things that change my actions? What are the things that change my approach to life in a real and practical way? Not just the things that change how I read the news or think theoretically about things. And I'm not saying I don't like sometimes thinking about those more theoretical aspects. Theoretical is not the word I want. but um, The less practical. There we go. Um, I'm not saying I don't occasionally even enjoy thinking about those things in this book, or maybe even occasionally having conversations about those kinds of things with people. Um, But I also like having conversations about all sorts of things. Um, Now a lot of things are running through my mind. But I, I don't need, I don't think any of those things should take up the bulk of my time or my mental bandwidth. I don't think the bulk of my mental bandwidth ought to be taken up with things that are not, that don't have a practical effect on how I live my life for God. This morning we're going to go through the book of Revelation, looking at the things for us to keep, looking at some promises, and just some general lessons along the way. Reading this book, reading Revelation, should change how you live. We're supposed to be keeping the teaching of the book. It's interesting, though. So reading Revelation should change the way we live, but reading Revelation shouldn't change the way you live. So like the way most people think of Revelation as the... um, How do I say this safely? Um... Thinking of Revelation, a lot of people think of you know those sections in there where you're reading about all sorts of stuff that you're really struggling to understand, or maybe you think you have all figured out just right. But um, you know the stuff that's all all the puzzle pieces. Um, that's that's kind of what people think of when they think of the Book of Revelation. And so if that reading that reading those parts of this book shouldn't change how you live if you're a Christian. Um, that's a generalization but it's generally true Um, if if figuring out timing about when okay well no we'll get to that later if figuring out timing is um, is going to change how you live you're living wrong does that make sense Um, so in that way reading the book of revelation shouldn't change how you live. Reading the book of Revelation should change how you live. Okay, that's a roundabout way of probably not saying what's in my head. Um, let's look at chapter 1, and really what we're going to do is just go through go through the book and, and look at a bunch of verses and phrases and, and, and themes from the book, and then we're going to go out and live it. Or is that just me? Chapter 1, the verse we started with there, verse 3, says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. I had an intermediate class teacher in my younger Sunday school days who strongly encouraged us to read through Revelation. And it was not, he wasn't, I've had some people strongly encourage it from the standpoint of they wanted me to figure a bunch of things out. He wanted me to read it so I would figure things out about my life. Um, And... I really appreciate that. Looking back, I have ten—I had tended to shy away from the book, and even in the years since, I can tend to do that. I think it's shied away from by a lot of people. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of how many of you have read through Revelation. Um, but I have a suggestion for you. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. That's one reason I want to read it aloud sometime. Um, I think we're. Mi- I don't have very many notes. Like I just have a bunch of underlines in my Bible, so this could get all over the place. Um, apologize in advance. The I think we have such a blessing in having the written word that we can read in a way that so many people don't and haven't through the ages that we miss the fact that. 
I think we are losing something by the fact we don't hear the word of God very much anymore. Think about Christians through hundreds of years. They heard the word of God. They didn't have access to the way we do. I wouldn't give this up for what they had, but I'd like to get a little more of what they had. I think um, we do well to hear the word of God. There's something different in the way we process it when we hear it um, versus when we read it. So read your Bible and I think also add some listening as you have opportunity. Anyway, um, blessed is he who reads and those who hear. I have a suggestion for you. Get So this is my normal Bible. Normal. Um, this is my regular Bible. <laughs> Terms. Um, so this is a Bible Mark put together for me. It actually has two translations in it, um, a New King James and a King James. And they're in a format I really like. And I have gone out and bought used. Um, the, the publisher stopped making this edition close to 10 years ago, I think. Um, and I've bought a bunch of used ones, and so I have another one just like this at home that Mark made me, so when I wear this one out. Um, and I have this one that I keep at work. It's a New King James, and it's the same edition with a less pleasant cover on it. Um, and there were no markings in it. And so I sat down and went through it with a pen and a straight edge and just read through the book of Revelation, marking it up. Um, I think I want to do more of that. To get a Bible that I just sit down with, it's not the one I normally read in because eventually I think I would end up with just the whole thing underlined, but sit down and and go through a book with the specific purpose of I want to highlight things. Um, And that's what I did with this. And it's made made an impact in my life. And so if you get a chance, I think that's that's a good practice. Um, Get a... Get a, another printing of the Bible and, and go through some books that way. Maybe even Revelation. See the things you're supposed to keep. Verse 3 uses the word prophecy. Um, and I think a question we get hung up on sometimes is what is prophecy? To simplify it, though, prophecy is the truth of God spoken by man. Or maybe even more accurate would be to prophesy is to bring God to the people. If you look through... Um, what prophesying means through through the Bible as a whole, it's bringing God to the people. I think we tend to limit prophecy to think of foretelling of future events. Verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, says, well, how do I want to put this? Don't forget Jesus. Um, to hear some people talk about the book of Revelation, Jesus is almost... Uh, a character waiting in the wings for his cue, um, and that is not what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation, this whole book is about Jesus, the one who loved us so much he shed his blood for us, the one who washes us, as it says there in verse 5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn of many brethren, right? Ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse 7, behold, he is coming. So there is some foretelling. I'm not denying that. Don't forget that Jesus is coming. Don't forget Jesus. This book is about Jesus. This book is not about current events. Take that the way I meant it. Verse 17, we have what I think is maybe our first, one of our first commandments. Um... I think to keep it is a commandment also. But verse 17, John is told, do not be afraid. I think that's also for us. Don't be afraid. Don't let this book scare you. Well, the book as a whole, but um, don't let Revelation scare you either. Don't let the judgment of God scare you. Yes, it generates some fear. The right kind of fear. In chapter 2, we have the start of the letters to the seven churches. Um, At the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, or at the beginning of each each, uh, letter, 
we have this reference that it's addressed to the angels of the churches. Um, I've heard various supposition about what all that means. I think it's good to note that what's translated here as angels is a word that simply means messengers. Um, so this was to those who were mess- who were the messengers to the churches. Each church's letter has two things in common. It has some variation of the phrase, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's plural, by the way. So if you were in the church of Ephesus, you weren't supposed to stop paying attention once um, your messenger read the letter to the church of Ephesus. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're supposed to look at all of these. We're supposed to evaluate as a whole um, how it applies to us. This is a call for us to heed all the warnings. Every letter also has a he who overcomes, a promise to he who overcomes. Successfully reaching the finish line requires an overcoming There's not going to be a coasting into glory. Overcoming also means that there will be adversity. There will be things that try to drag you down. If you put the effort in to reach out to God, he is more than enough to get you through. But you have to want it. Two of the letters also mention the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I kind of went down a rabbit hole on that, wanting to figure out, so who were these people? Um... They're called out twice here in the book of Revelation, but there's not a whole lot known about them. And so I was reading various encyclopedias and things and trying to figure out what these deeds were that God hates so much that he called them out twice in these letters. And there's quite a bit of debate about uh, what was what. Some think they were led astray by the Nicholas we read about being ordained in Acts along with Stephen. Others... Uh, other early Christian writers debate that, dispute that. Um, and some of the early Christian writers' statements about what all was going on in this group were kind of interesting, but mostly just really disturbing. And two things that were mentioned that are common thread in, in other writings, they're mentioned here and they're mentioned in, in most other writings about the Nicolaitans, was their um, consuming of food offered to idols and sexual sin. There was one section from the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible that had a line that I wanted to read. There's, they were talking about how a lot of people, um, there are a lot of indications that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans had to do with um, Gnosticism, the you know, anything fleshly is evil, uh, matter itself is evil, um, and <clears throat> so that there was a promotion of anything that's physical is just purely evil, and the spirit is is where grace happens and where forgiveness happens, and so you just you just cut a clean line, and whatever you do physically doesn't matter. It's about it's about you know the, the forgiveness inside, and doesn't sound but so foreign to the way some people live. And it said, the result of their teaching would have conformed Christianity to the world rather than have Christianity change the world. That stuck with me. The result of their teaching would have conformed Christianity to the world rather than have Christianity change the world. We don't practice the deeds of the Nicolaitans, but we face the temptation to conform our calling to the world rather than uh, transform the world through our calling. Okay, verse 3, chapter 2, refers to perseverance and steadfastness, laboring for the name of Christ, not giving up due to weariness. That's praised in this church. But then in verse 4, we have the famous line, infamous line. They have left their first love. And when I when I put those two together, verses 3 and 4, I realize they didn't wear down in their actions, but they cooled off. 
in their zeal. And, and the way that reads, I would infer that they didn't even slow down. They kept on plowing forward. They, they were persevering. They were not giving in. They were not, um, uh, they were not becoming weary. But what does Paul teach us in 1 Corinthians 13? If we're not living and acting and, and, and working in love, it's empty. If my speech here this morning is not in love, if my, if my sharing is not a burden of love, then, let's see, what is it, a sounding brass? Just a big gong going off? Just because you have the locomotion happening, if you don't have the um, the zeal for God, there is condemnation for you. Through these verses, through the um, the letters to the churches, and and through the book as a whole, we have just call upon call to repent, repent. So, if you find yourself struck by any of the teaching of this book you know what to do about it repent verse 9 talks about uh, we're moving into another church talks about the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not and um, one of the times I listened through I was listening in another um, translation and they used the word slander slander of those who say they are and are not and that helped me rethink the the root of blasphemy the the dangerous reality of what it means to take the name of God to wear the name of Christ and then drag it around through the mud we think of blasphemy as something that we would never we would never consider doing um You know, we would not blaspheme God. But if you're here carrying his name this morning and you go out and drag it through the mud by your actions, that's blasphemy. You're slandering his name. That is blasphemy. Verse 10, there's a repeating of the uh, exhortation, do not fear, and being told to be faithful to the end. Again, overcoming. Verse 13 talks about holding fast to the name of Jesus and not denying his faith. And then in verse 16, we have another call to repentance. Verse 19, another church, we have a ringing endorsement, a call for something that we would do well to attain to. Love, serveth, love service, faith, and perseverance. And it talks about it growing. It says the last are more than the first. So they their their actions are showing love, service, faith, patience, or, or perseverance, steadfastness. Um, and, and the last are more than the first. So these are growing. This is not dwindling. These actions, these these works of theirs were um, were strong. But in verse 20, they were allowing, they were tolerating the false teacher there that was drawing believers into sin. If you're on fire for God, pouring your, your energy into living for Him, you will still face condemnation if you allow a perversion of His truth in your life in your family, and your church. Chapter 3. It goes a little faster after we get out of the seven churches. Chapter 3, we have... Um, well, the, the... This whole... Well, I'll just take it in, in the order they're coming in the verses instead of what's 
rolling around in my head right now. Verse 2, be watchful, strengthen the things which remain. Keep looking. Um, don't, don't let your guard down. Strengthening the things which remain reminds me of do the things you know to do. Even when you have questions and you don't know what's next, you still know some things that you're supposed to do. Keep doing those. Strengthen the things that remain. <coughs> Remember how you heard, how you received and heard. Hold tightly then to, to what brought you to Jesus. Hold fast to that, and if you find that you've drifted from that, you repent. There in verse 3. Verse 8, we have um, another uh, condemnation, condemnation, commendation. Um, you have a little strength. They're, they're holding on. You've kept my word. You have not denied my name. We are called to the same. With whatever strength we have, we, we don't walk away from Jesus. We don't deny his name. We keep what he has taught. Verse 11 also talks about holding fast to what we have. Then down in verse 16, we have the other infamous, um, I say infamous about the left your first love back in chapter 2 and then here in the lukewarm church because I think people who've never read the book of Revelation for themselves, people who have very little uh, biblical knowledge would would generally know these two um, the that God spews out the lukewarm out of his mouth and um, and the leaving of the first love so here in verse 16 we have lukewarm we have not someone who's walked away from God and said I'm doing my own thing but not someone who's said I'm all in Verse 17, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. There's a reference in a later chapter that ties into this. But I think it's, well, we'll just wait till we get to that part. Be, be cautious lest your comfort... Um, drag you into lukewarmness. And if you find yourself lukewarm this morning, the solution is in verse 19. Be zealous and repent. In other words, get hot and get sorry. In chapter 4, I want to read the from verse 8 to the end of the chapter. We have um, the creatures there in heaven uh, praising God, and, and it's just a beautiful picture. Uh, chapter 4, verse 8, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Do we truly recognize the creator and honor, praise, and glorify him for it? That section always reminds me of Colossians 1.16 where it says that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Do we offer him glory and honor and praise for that? Chapter 5. We're not going to read the first... The first section of chapter 5 is one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture. Um, but you can read that on your own time, I guess. In verse 9, we have the the singing of the um, 
the singing going on there in glory. And we have, you were slain, have redeemed us to God out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Out of every tribe and nation. So you were not born into this. There's no special sect that gains us access to God and to salvation. It is the work and blood of Christ that makes salvation available at every place and to every person. And because of that, verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Again, do we offer that? Verse 13 Every creature. That's just reiterating what we see there in verse 9. Well, in both verses, really. Um, All creation singing out in praise, blessing and glory and honor. And we don't wait till we get to glory to worship him. If you're not worshiping him here, you're not going to worship him there. Chapter 6. I want to read verse 9. I'm not going to make comment on it really at this point. We'll probably come back to it in a little bit. Chapter 6, verse 9. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. In verse 11, we also see them Uh, we see the rest promised to those who spend themselves for Christ. Chapter 7. Noticing verse 9 somehow is um, in a lot of these. I have a lot of verse 9s underlined. There we go. Um, Verse 9, we have again over all the earth, that idea that where you're from, who your parents are, what your bloodline is, um, the coding in your DNA does not get you anything without the, the work and blood of Jesus Christ. There are those from everywhere, all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Verse 10, they're crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We have this proclaiming, and again, don't expect to proclaim it in glory if you aren't proclaiming it now. But there's something subtle in verse 10, but hugely important. It says, salvation belongs to our God. It doesn't say it belongs to my God. It says it belongs to our God. And I'm not trying, I'm not... I'm not downplaying or trying to insinuate that I'm not downplaying the personal nature of my relationship with God or your relationship with God. It is a personal relationship and and do not take this at all as me trying to, to put that down. But we have moved from the, from the biblical concept of being a part of the people of God. We are persons of God. And I say we have moved. It's especially prevalent in 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 the Western world, North America, Christianity as a whole. But it's not. It's in here too. Okay? Um, It's in our churches. That my relationship with God is about me and God. And and we kind of just shy away from this thing of, of being a part of the people of God. Look through your Bible. God has always wanted a people. You're going to be a part of that or not? And I guess to play another verse of the same song I've been singing, how do I expect to praise our God in glory if I'm only praising my God in the here and now? Verses 14 and 15 kind of um, that that is what shook up my perspective on this thing of what I do now versus what I'm going to do in glory um, the ones who were there 
arrayed in the white robes, the ones who were there praying and praising, and these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. They serve him day and night there because they served him day and night here. Because they served God, they continue to serve God. Verses 16 and 17 are simply beautiful verses. Um, to those serving him who had those moments and those days of feeling lost, they have their shepherd. They were tired and thirsty and sun-scorched. Look at their reward there in verse 17. Chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. We see our prayers. We see the prayers of the saints. They're offered up to God for his pleasure. And they're at, they're at play in the power seen at the altar there. By the way, this is just things I underlined in my Bible. You may be wondering why I'm not touching on your thing. Um, that's good. When you get up here and preach yours, then you can tell me what you underlined. Um, chapter 9. Toward the end of the chapter, verses 20 and 21, we see the, the plight of unrepentant mankind. Um, and, and I see a danger here, a lesson to be learned. Those, so these are the people that are not following God. They're not heeding the call to repentance. And it talks about um, they did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor, uh, nor walk. The, those worshiping demons, will we go, ah, we wouldn't do that. Okay. But it also talks about them worshiping created things, the works of their hands. Ooh, now that one gets a little closer home. Because what are the idols in my life that keep horning their way in? It's the works of hands. It's created stuff. Not, well, um, assembled stuff. There we go. Um, there's a warning for you. These are the ones who, before long in this book, are going to be calling out on the mountains to crush them. Chapter 11, verse 17. Maybe this ties into what Sean said um, after Sunday school here. It says, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, jumping down, because you have taken your great power and reigned. Do we thank God for reigning or do we complain about it? I think I have probably done a fair bit more complaining about God's reigning than I have thinking about God's reigning in my life. That is a ratio I want. I can't undo what I have done, but I can change what I do going forward. That's a ratio I want to change. Chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. At the at the end of that chapter, we also have um, I'll just say saints because that's easier than trying to parse the wording. Um, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of. Jesus Christ. Having the testimony of Jesus Christ is a theme you'll see popping up in Revelation a lot when you read through it. When you read through it. Um, back in chapter 6, verse 9, we had um, the under the altar the souls who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Then here in chapter 12, we again have the word of their testimony in the testimony of Jesus Christ. And have you noticed there in verse 11, your overcoming that you are being called to all through this book, it's by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony. Don't keep your mouth shut. Um, test, testimony, I think I said this here once before, testimony is truth that has become personal. So this is about 
The testimony of Jesus in your life is the truth of Jesus that has become personal for you. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but that we're supposed to share in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. And in 1 Timothy 2, we have, There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There's a lot there. You could probably make a whole sermon about the testimony of Christ in our lives. But I want you I, I want you to leave here today with, with at least that seed planted of testimony is truth that has become personal. And the overcomers are the ones who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus Christ has to have become personal for you for it to do any good. The blood of Jesus Christ lying at the foot of the cross there in Calvary does no good if it just stays there in the dirt. Does you no good. There we go. Chapter 13, verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Uh, okay. This is the this is the most uh, eschatological thing, like end times events thing that I'm going to say this morning. Um, this is just after the section about the beast. Um, the authority he has, etc. Verse 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. I've heard a lot of statements, been in a lot of discussions in which there was a measure of um, angst, maybe, about should we do this or get involved in that because what if it's the mark of the beast? Have you ever been in those conversations? Um, people who there for a while. Um, some Christians wouldn't put barcodes on their products back in the early days of um, the universal price system. Uh, you know, barcodes that you can scan at store because uh, this really fits into what could become the mark of the beast. Or um, I won't get involved in the internet or I won't get involved in this technology or I won't allow this or I won't do that because that could be the mark of the beast. Um, there will be deception but there will be no how do I want to word this? It's obvious from Scripture there will be deception. There will be no accidental worshiping of the beast. Okay? I'm going to say it that way. There will be no accidental worshiping of the beast. And I know that's getting a little semantic, saying deception versus accidental. But here's what I mean. It is a choice of will to serve God or to serve self, Satan, the beast, the world, whatever. It is a choice of will. And if, you're, if you go through life with a fear of, should I do this, can I do that, is that drawing me into, into a worship of the beast? The solution to your fear, the solution to your question is found in verse 8. Avoiding this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing is never going to keep you safe. Because it says... All those who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. You don't want to find yourself worshiping the wrong one, worship the right one. Apostle Paul says, make your calling and election sure. The solution for you is, is your name written in the book of life? If it is, hold fast, be faithful, do not um, become weary, be an overcomer. Then you can be free from that fear. Okay, chapter 14, verse 5. Oh, okay, time flies. Chapter 14, verse 5. We find something out about those who are before the throne of God. There's no deceit. Again, if you want to be there with no deceit, start working now. Verses 6 and 7, we have another reference to um, the non-exclusivity of God's grace another call to worship God of all the, to worship the God of all creation um, a call to fear him 
verse 12, we have the example of perseverance, the call to obedience and faithfulness. Verse 13 Verse 13 talks about the works of the dead following them. I thought of 1 Corinthians 3, where it says, um, there's no foundation laid, no other foundation can anyone lay except that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Um, If anyone now builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, etc. One's work will... uh, I can't quote it. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. It's 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 14. Um, their works follow them. If you want what you do to last, build it on Jesus. Chapter 15. Verses 3 and 4 is the song of the saints. Um, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Chapter 16, we have another warning in verses 9 and 11. Um, an example of those who didn't give God glory, who didn't repent, and the pain and destruction they face. Verse 15. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. I'm less worried about you having the details of his coming right and more interested in you having the details of your heart and life right. Does that make sense? I'm... Less worried about you having the details of his coming right and more interested in you having the details of your heart and life right in light of his coming. Uh, Andrew read from Mark 13 this morning. Twice it said, watch, watch, watch. What are you supposed to be watching? Headlines or your heart and your life? Chapter 17, verse 14. Do you remember all those calls to be overcomers, to overcome, that we bounced through in the earlier chapters? You better remember them. Verse 14, the Lamb will overcome. He is the Lord of lords, King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. We are faithful. We're called to be faithful. He is faithful. Chapter 18, we don't really have time to to dig into it, but verse 3 talks about um, becoming rich through the abundance of of the luxury, and that, to me, ties back into chapter 3, verse 17, Um, the, you thought you were rich, but you were wrong. I'll just say this. I have I heard this and I found it to be true in my life. Comfort is decline. You want to progress, it's not comfortable. Training for something. If you're feeling good um, on the weight bench, you're not making progress. If you're feeling good after you get off the weight bench, you're not making progress. You're running, cycling, whatever it is. If you feel good when you get done, you're comfortable when you sit down afterwards you're not making progress you're actually losing comfort is decline don't seek comfort seek progress I'm not saying you can never be comfortable okay Um, verse 5 in chapter 19 we have again praise service fear verse 7 we have Be glad, rejoice, glorify. His wife has made herself ready. Do I have anything to do with that? Verse 10, worship God. Um, We have again the testimony of Jesus. Having the testimony of Jesus. 
Those who have the testimony of Jesus worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Testifying of Jesus is the essence of prophecy. Testifying of Jesus is the essence of bringing God to the people. Chapter 20. I think I want 21. Yes, chapter 21. He who overcomes. Here we have the promise, again, of what it means as we overcome. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, he will be my son. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Verses 7 and 8, we have who to be and who not to be. Be an overcomer. Don't be cowardly. Don't be unbelieving. Don't have idols in your life. Don't be a liar. Verse 27 has the standard of entry into glory. There shall be no there shall by no means enter in enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no profanity in heaven. Anything that defiles, that's the idea of profanity. Things that profane. You need to train yourself to walk away from it here if you want to enjoy it there. And finally, chapter 22, verse 7, we have that other bookend. I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts Come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Chapter 20, I mean verse 20. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Is that your call this morning? Or would you rather he hold off a little bit? And I'll close the way the other John did. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.